That should be the blurb. It's a knockout. It's of a, a book. knockout of a book, says Barry, Barry Liga. Hello and welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, marriage. I'm Barry Liga, and with me is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. Hello. How are you? I'm recovering. Yeah. We'll get into that in a minute. We'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, I need to uh, issue a mea culpa and uh, a retraction from last week's wow, podcast. I Yeah, I know. God. I thought it was just going to be a correction. Well, you know, I take this seriously. So last week, I was trying to pull from memory a quote, and I said, nothing focuses a man's mind greater than the prospect of his hanging in the morning. And then I attributed that to Mark Twain. And it sounds like something Mark Twain would say, actually. But I was wrong on both counts. First of all, it was not Mark Twain. It was Samuel Johnson. And uh, I had the quote wrong, although I liked the way I said it. It sounded pretty (laughs) cool, to be honest with you. But the actual quote is, depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. So the sentiment is the same, but I botched the wording. And actually... I'm glad, though, because I looked it up, and when I did, it's a really interesting story. Johnson was trying to save the life of this guy who had been sentenced to death. And the guy had written these letters to try to get himself acquitted or or to get his sentence commuted and, and to be released. And everybody was like, these letters are way too good for this guy to have written. This guy's like an illiterate idiot. He couldn't have written these letters. Hmm. And it turned out Johnson wrote them for him, trying to get him free. Uh, and when people said to Johnson, come on, you wrote these letters for him. This guy couldn't have writ- written this. Uh-huh. He said, depend upon it, sir, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Okay. That was his excuse. And then eventually the guy was hanged and Johnson admitted, yeah, I wrote the letters. So it's an interesting little story. You know, it's tough getting old and having your memory falter like that. So Who are you? <laughs> it is. The Rolling Stones were right. What a drag it is getting older. And that one I know I got right. And that one, once again, you're dating yourself by quoting the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Just kidding. I was hoping for like a One Direction quote here. What, what the <laughs> hell do they know about getting old? Man, when I turned 16, it sucked. All right. So we have a lot to talk about today. We have a lot of, of great topics. First of all, it's been a rough week. Let, let's just be honest about this. It has been a rough week. We are recording late, uh, later than we usually do. Mm-hmm. It's just been a rough week. It started out, you weren't feeling 100%. And then uh, last Monday, Leia just decided to start throwing up. For the first time. Which was fun and interesting. And, uh, and, and then you got sicker. Yeah. And then I got sick as uh-huh. a result. I, I picked it up. And then we were both sort of bedridden for about 36 hours. Uh And then just as we were starting to get a little bit better, Saturday night, Leia decided to throw up again. This time... uh coming out her nose it was Ugh, it was crazy poor girl and and unlike monday you know monday she threw up and we got in touch with the pediatrician the pediatrician said oh there's a flu bug going around it's a 24-hour thing she'll probably mm-hmm. how does she seem we said oh she seems fine she threw up and then she was laughing afterwards yeah. so she feels better okay it's a flu bug whatever um that was not the case that was saturday. not the case saturday yeah. that was not the case saturday. she's a very very unhappy dirty messy baby as as was i as were you as was our beautiful Hardwood floor. Yes. Um, and she was not happy. And then... Um, and she kept throwing up. Yeah. And we ended up going to the ER. Yeah. So first parental trip to the ER. Achievement unlocked. Achievement unlocked. Unfortunately. We did that. We went to the lovely uh, hospital here. And they checked her out. And of course, as soon as we got to the hospital, as soon as we got to the hospital and got checked in and had gone through triage, what happened? 
she was suddenly fine. She was smiling. She was and smiling and giggling and, 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 you know, chatting up the triage nurse, and she was just fine. But she did throw up again. And then she threw up again yeah. in the hospital. So I was yeah. glad that we were there. Yeah. And she checked out okay, of yeah. course. Everything is fine. Yeah. So. We should mention we didn't just take her to the hospital because she threw up. We're not that we're not that crazy. <laughs> it was the continual throwing up, and it was also it, it seemed like there was sort of a rasp in her in yeah. her lungs that we could feel. We could feel a rasp in her body, like a buzz when she breathed, and we were worried she'd aspirated some stuff into her lungs and was having some trouble with her with her breathing. So that's why we took her. It's hard though making those judgment calls. Sure, you know, sure. I mean, obviously, it all worked out fine. The hospital's right, right down the road. Yep, we were in and out pretty quickly, and obviously, the most important thing is that she. Was it's fine, but but it is you know we had a few moments there of is is this worth a trip? Does this to the rise to the level? Mm-hmm. And I think I looked at you and I said, look, we wouldn't be the first parents to waste a trip to the right. ER. I right. mean, it, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah, might as well just pull the trigger right. and do it. Yeah. So now it's done, and yeah. you know we'll have a better sense next time maybe of what does or doesn't rise to that level. Yeah, if there's a next time, and let's face it, there there's will going be. Babe. There's going to be many, many, many next times, and that's just the way it is. So that's our baby update. She's doing well now. That's our baby <laughs> update. And uh, let's dive in. We've got so much to talk about, and we won't get to all of it this week. And, of course, we'll pick up next week. So I want to mention, at least briefly, you posted a blog today at morganbaden.com. Go figure. <laughs> Talking about the position you were in, people may not know, but you went back to work a couple of months ago. But it was transitional. It was a mm-hmm. part-time thing where you were going to work three days a week and you were home two days a week, which was very nice. Yeah. Today marked the first day that you were back at work full-time, five Correct. days a week. And you wrote a, an interesting blog post about this. And I just want to talk about it briefly, and then we'll, we'll post a link to it in the show notes and people can read it. They should read it. It's really well done and, and, and incredibly personal. Um, I'm always amazed that by... By what you are willing to talk about in public. Yeah, you and I always talk about this, how our blogs are so different. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't even want people to know my name, but (laughs) unfortunately, it it has to work that way. Yeah, no, you are willing to talk about a lot of stuff to an emotional depth that... I'm just not willing to do. Yeah. And that's what you did in this blog post where you talk about, uh, if you don't mind me characterizing yeah. it, you talk about some of the misgivings you have going back to work, but at the same time, the misgivings you had when you weren't at work. Mm-hmm. And it's the classic conundrum of wanting to be, wanting to work and be an independent individual who works and enjoying the work, but at the same time, wanting to be a mom, but at the same time, realizing that if you were a full-time mom, you'd go crazy. Right. All of these things that sort of churn together and... Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to talk about oh, this. Oh, no, of course not. Or to to have this conundrum. Um, so there's nothing groundbreaking here. But it is, I suppose there's a part of me that actually, I feel guilty for not wanting to stay home. Full time. Full time. Right. I feel guilty that I'm not, I feel guilty for not wanting to. Right. And I'm letting that sort of rise to the surface more. So there's a part of me that's like, I'm, I'm glad I go to work. Sure. And obviously it's because I, I like my work, but it's also because I, I don't want to. I don't want to be at home full time. And that's a strange thing to admit, especially when you come from from a family like mine, where I have mom of the year, truly, right. who, you know, was a stay-at-home mom and is incredible. And it's a lot to live up to. And, you know, my older sister, when she had her kids, she was a teacher, so it was different. But she managed to, to carve out a lot of time off. And now she's um, a part-time professor. And, you know, so she has a lot of time with the kids, too. And it, I suppose I personally don't really have a model for 
being a working mom. A full-time working mom. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting to navigate it now. Yeah. I mean, and it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. As you say in your blog, you say it's a lose-lose scenario, but it's also a win-win scenario. Mm -hmm. And it's just, what do you win and what do you lose in each scenario? Yeah. And, and there is perhaps no ideal situation. There's not. You know, and that's a tough thing. And it, it, it made me think of a conversation we had a while ago before we were parents. I don't remember if it's before you were pregnant or not, but okay. a conversation we had a long time ago, we talked about this idea of having it all. Yeah. This idea of this way you can have it all. And, and I remember saying, I, I think, I think that's an illusion. It is. I don't think you can have it all. And I think that for a long time, women looked at men and thought, well, they've got it all. I want what they have. And I think there are a lot of men who, you know, went to their deathbeds going, well, damn, I I missed all that time with my family. And, you know, it looked like they had it all, but they didn't. And it's interesting for me because now I'm in this position where I am home full time Mm -hmm. with Leia taking care of her. And there are days or hours or, you know, five minutes at a time where I'm like, I wish I weren't doing this, Uh but I'm glad I'm doing this. And it's the same thing. I mean, I can't have it all. Right. And... And, and it's interesting. You, you, I, I'll quote the stones again. If you try sometimes, you get what you need. So like you said, not a new conundrum, but I felt like I wanted to talk about it a little bit tonight because I felt like your blog really crystallized it really well. Thanks. And again, you're so amazing when you write about this personal stuff. I don't know why you do it, but you're really good at doing it. So bravo. Thanks. And I, I encourage and anybody who is remotely interested in this, go go take a read. At, at Morgan's blog again, you, you'll find it in the show notes and 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 take a look at it because it, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. We're all just working it out as we go, I suppose. Yeah. So let's move on to some really really sad news. I am in mourning today. You know, I announced that I called over to Barry in into the kitchen last night when I read this on Facebook, and truly, the look on his face—he was crestfallen. Crestfallen's the word. Perhaps stricken. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch has apparently pulled out of the Twin Peaks sequel series on Showtime. And this is devastating to me because I've basically been waiting more than half my life for Twin Peaks to come back on TV. And when it was announced that Showtime was going to pick up the series and continue it uh, next year, I was thrilled. And now that Lynch has backed out, apparently the series is still going to happen. And if Mark Frost is still writing it, then it'll it'll still be good. But... Oh man, it's it's like it's, rough. it's it's the equivalent of they've just announced the X Files return reboot, which I am obviously thrilled about. Sure, but if Chris Carter dropped out, yeah, right, right, right. If they like, announced oh. it and they're like, hey, look, Duchovny is going to be there, Anderson's going to be there. You're going to have your smoking man. You're going to have your I don't know the other guys, but you're going to have Skinner, right? That's a guy. Yep. Okay, you're going to have all those dudes, all the guys <laughs> in their suits. They're all going to be there. Don't worry, it's all cool. There's going to be some black oil, like. All some that, aliens. but Chris Carter, not so much. Right. You would, you would be bummed, I, of right? I would be You'd bummed. be devastated. I, I'm crushed. This hurts, and it hurts in a way because Twin Peaks is a huge influence on me, mm-hmm. and it's one of those as things. A as a writer, yeah. Sorry, not, not that I wrap up women in plastic and throw them in rivers or anything like that. Phew. Yeah, no, not anymore. So, <laughs> I. You know, I watched the show when it was originally on the air. I was in college at the time, and I watched it. I watched it once because it was on once. Right. So I watched it. And for a long time, it was difficult to get on video or DVD or anything like that. So I never really saw it again. And then it came to Netflix a few years ago, and I was epically sick 
for about a week. And all I did was lay on the sofa and watch Netflix. So I watched all of Twin Peaks. And for the what's first, funny is, well, we had just started dating. Yeah, yeah. And so I started watching it separately right, right. because I'd never seen it. Although I, I admit, I really enjoyed it. And then somewhere around episode seven or eight, I just lost. Well, it, it lost its way yeah. at a certain point because the creators left. Yeah. And then they came back right at the very end. So yeah. the first, you know, anyway. So I watched it and this was 20 years after I'd seen it. And damn, I remembered Every shot, every angle, every line of dialogue, it was crazy. And as I'm watching, I'm going, oh, the next scene will pick up with this, this angle from this, and this guy will say this as he comes into the room. And I was right. And I'm like, where is this all coming from? And it occurred to me as I was watching it, as I was examining its structure again and the way it was put together, I was like, oh, my God, this is how I write books. Uh This is such... And I never realized it because, again, I watched it one time in college, and it was just... I must have internalized it so much. It's rhythms wow. and it's patterns and everything. And, and I'm, I'm that, that, that's a very self flattering thing to say. Cause Twin Peaks is a work of genius. I don't mean to imply that I am a genius. I just, it's a big influence on right. me. And you didn't, realize and I didn't until... realize it until 20 years later when I got to watch mm-hmm. it again. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about these sort of deep influences, not, not the things that were even aware of, but the things we really have to think about, the things that influenced us a long time ago, Uh those sort of things that became central to us that became almost part of our DNA without us realizing it as, as writers. Mm -hmm. So obviously for me, Twin Peaks, what's like that for you? Do you think? When we were kids, young kids, the movie we wanted to watch all the time was children of the corn. (laughs) And we did. We watched it. Yeah. Like I'm talking like Seven, eight, nine. That was our go-to movie. This explains so much. Right? Doesn't it? And so I love crazy, creepy movies. I love horror movies. And I I take a particular pleasure in, like, culty, religious horror. And I know. I don't know. Um, But anyway, but I think it all stems from that, which is just, you know, this sort of idea of, like, in Children of the Corn, there's, you know, the barren town and... um, the corn stalks and the the craziness. And it wasn't until actually I met you that I read Stephen King's short story. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. That was the first time I read it. I didn't know that. that, I'd always just only ever seen the movie. Oh, wow. But, um, but that, it has such an influence on me because I still see, uh, scenes from that movie. They, they're just, I, you know, I can recall them very easily and, um, and sort of recall the atmosphere of, of certain parts of that film. And, I think that has a lot to do, that, that's impacted a lot of my reading choices and just my sort of entertainment choices generally hmm. um, in television and movies. Uh, as a writer, I don't know. I think that's a little more difficult because just because I think that my writing influences are pretty close to the surface for me. So right. so I know what where I'm getting inspiration from or, or where I'm not. But. but it's actually interesting to me that you bring up Children of the Corn because without getting into too much detail or getting into any sort of spoiler territory or anything like that, the book that you're revising is not, I would not classify it as horror, no. but it's a small town. There's strange, creepy goings on. Yeah. It's, you know, and it sort of has the pacing. It doesn't, it doesn't really have the, the character of a horror novel, no. but I would say it has the pacing okay. of a horror novel albeit in service to a different kind of story, which yeah. is an interesting thing to do. So I, I find that interesting. Yeah. The Children of the Corn was such a bizarrely influential thing to <laughs> seven-year-old Morgan. It's I know uh, it's strange. And that's weird. You man. know, I just said earlier that I, I had mom of the year. 
Mom of a lifetime. Yeah. And yet she left And yet she left seven year old watch children of the corn. So yeah, we might have to go back to the uh, back, back to the award uh, committee on that one and, and and see if any rules were broken before. You know, we might have to revoke that uh, certificate. Okay, so hopefully David Lynch will come back. I'm hoping this is all a negotiating tactic on his part. Doesn't sound it, but I, no, I, I'll no, send you good vibes. Let, let me good have vibes this. To all the Twin Peaks let, fans. let me have this. All right. So I want to talk about a comment that we got just the other day on Twitter, okay. I believe, which says, I want to hear more about your no screen rule with your baby, especially when you're both in media and heavy readers. Yeah. So the no screen policy, I mean, this is just something that, you know, some friends of ours who we visited before we had a baby. Uh, mentioned that they had limit their screen time for their child and their kid is just adorable and wonderful and smart. Well, and also the recommendations from a lot of medical nonprofits and reading nonprofits and, and whatnot are that um, you should very much limit screen time for kids under two. Right. And then over two, it's, you know, just certain allotments per day. Right. And, and then when they're seven, children of the corn. Exactly. You just make that leap from right. one hour per week to children, children of the corn 24 seven. Right. Here's Sesame street. <laughs> here's Peppa pig. And, uh, here's children of the corn. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, listen, this is my friend who asked this question. Um, she is a, she is a, a new son who's only a couple of months older than Leia and he's gorgeous. And you know, it is interesting because I feel like you, Barry, are very adamantly anti-screen. Is that a fair assessment? I, I feel like that makes me sound a little more zealous and religious about okay, it. you're right, it does. Than, than I am. I, I don't want people to think I'm, you know, covering the TV with a drop cloth when the baby's in the room or Not something. Right. But my preference, certainly my strong preference, you know... I feel like it's it's very easy because we are all used to looking at screens all the time. Right. It's very easy to have the baby looking at them too, mm-hmm. unintentionally. Right. It, I mean, it, the baby looks at our iPads. She looks at sure, our phones. Sure. And, you know, she was playing with my iPad. I was holding her and I was trying to look <laughs> something up. I don't remember what. And she was just smacking the iPad and, like, scrolling back a screen. I'm like, stop yeah. doing that. I can't, you know. Well, and think about when we FaceTime with people. Sure. She is touch Now she's... She reaches out. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. switching the camera view, all this stuff. Right. Accidentally. But. Accidentally. But, you know, I, I just feel like it's very easy for us not to be aware yeah. that she's looking at a screen. There are many times where you'll have the TV on because you're doing something and she's not supposed to be looking at it, but we lose track of what she's looking at. And I'll say, oh, wait, she's watching TV. I'm more flexible about it. Sure. I don't want her to sit and watch TV. Right. Obviously, she is a little baby. But I have noticed that if the TV is on for whatever reason, which is... I like TV, so I have TV right. on a lot. And we live in a small apartment, so it's easy to see it from everywhere. But, right. you know, she it catches her attention, but it doesn't keep her attention. Not always. No. Yeah. It, it did, I think, when she just was starting to become aware of things and she was sort of captivated by, obviously, the, the moving colors. But now I think she'll look at it and focus on it for 30 seconds and then go back to sucking her hands and playing right. with her toy giraffe. So. I mean, and I'll say, I'll cop to this. You know, Friday, oh. I was really sick. That's when I was, yeah. you know, in, in the thick of my illness. And you were at work mm-hmm. and I had to take care of Leia all day. And there was just no way I could occupy her. I was just dead on my feet. And yeah, I sat her on the sofa with me. We watched Law & Order reruns. Right. You know, she loves Lenny Briscoe. And I think that's fine. You know, I think part of the screen time recommendations are that there's a danger of letting the screen become a babysitter, which should only be used in emergencies, I think. 
And I think that's the case, too, for, for growing up as an adult and everything. Sure. You know, I, I was reading an article in the Chicago Tribune the other day, and I shared it on Facebook, and I tweeted it, about working parents, and in particular, working moms, who feel a lot of guilt when they work, like we were just talking about. Um, but that the truth is, moms in the stay-at-home moms in the 70s spent less time with their kids than working moms do currently. There was some really fascinating data around this, but the the... The crux of the study was it's not the quantity of time that matters, it's the quality of time. So when you are with your baby, you should be actively engaging with them, not sitting in front of a TV. Right. So that's where I like to make sure that as long as Leah has a lot of activity time and engagement time with us, I don't mind the occasional, you know, one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes of screen time. Right. I know that it's one of those things that is a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to put the baby down in front of the TV and go, this is just for five minutes. And then 30 minutes pass, 40 Seth, minutes pass. Here's the thing. I don't think that's easy. I, I, I don't worried that it could be easy. I would never do. I get, I feel a sense of guilt when she's sitting playing quietly, not even <laughs> when the TV's on, but right. when I'm not actively engaging with her, right. I'm thinking, Oh my God, put Morgan, put down this cup of water that you're pouring yourself and go talk to your baby. Right. Um, so maybe for you that, I mean, let's be honest, you have a tendency to sort of fall into a hole when you're on the internet or like, you know, I think there have been times where I've, I've called your name and said something to you, but you were so engrossed in your iPad that you didn't hear me. Well, that is, no, that is true. It, it makes it sound like it's something specific to the internet almost. No. Let, let's be honest. I do that with nothing in front of me at all. That's I, true. I can just stare off into space yeah. and disappear into my own head. Yeah. And, and that the exact same thing can happen. Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying yeah. is I, I think time passes differently for you in that sense. Sure. Whereas, you know, yeah, maybe a half hour passes before you right. even realize it, but I don't think that's the case for me, which is why, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't think it's a slippery slope. I could be wrong. I could be delusional, but, yeah, who knows? um, but these, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't want to be a, a hard ass about it. Like, I don't want to draw all this hard line that the, the TV will never be on as long as Leia is in this house. Like, right? No, obviously you can't. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't do that. But I it's do just have, something to be aware of. It is totally that's, something that's to be aware of. And especially as she starts to get older and as she begins to develop preferences for things, you know. I mean, the other side of this is you don't want to get to a point where the only thing that calms her down is the TV because that's what she likes, you Mm -hmm. know? I think what's more important to me is the balance aspect of it, right? Because I actually think TV is a a really important part of culture. I want her to have a shared culture with her generation. You know, I know kids who don't watch TV at all. That's fine. Good for them. I want to make sure that she does have some sort of grounding um, and common ground with other kids her age, whether that's so that when she's 25, she can say, God, remember that show that we used to watch when I was six? And it was such an influence. It was the Twin Peaks of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I, I, I agree. I mean, and, and I agree strongly enough that, that there are things that I personally would hope she wouldn't do, but that if she decides to do them, I certainly wouldn't stop her because they are important culturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. If she grew up to, for example, hate Facebook... Yeah. Nobody would be happier than me. <laughs> but I understand that it is an important part of the way people interact. Right. And so, you know, when the time is right, if she decides that's what she wants 
to do if she wants to be on Facebook and interact on Facebook and make that a big part of her life fine yeah. you know i would never stop her from yeah, doing yeah, that yeah. yeah i agree and it's funny that you talk about you know the the tv shows that we all watch and everything because i think by the time she is old enough to be regularly watching tv shows it will be a totally different I, I, it experience. will be so different yeah. everything will be on youtube and i really think we've mentioned narrow casting before on the mm-hmm. podcast i really think that that the shared cultural experiences you're talking about are, be, are going to become more and more rare as Absolutely. time goes on because there's not just going to be three or 25 or a hundred networks where everybody watches something. There will be a million streaming sites yeah. where you watch just whatever the hell you want to watch. Mm-hmm. And there will be as few as a million other people in the world who even know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that is strange for people like us yeah. who grew up in eras when TGIF. Yeah, yeah, I mean everyone watched the same shows at the same right, time. Right, right. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, there were like four channels on TV. That's it, you know? Yeah. And 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 You're just like you had TV. I you know, I am. My first TV <laughs> was black and white. But that's another thing I want to talk about too is black and white put, TV? No, but when do you put a TV in a kid's room? And I have strong... Again, I love TV. We don't have a TV in our room. No, we don't. And so I why have, the hell does she get one? No, that's what I'm saying. But I have... I know kids who got TVs in their bedrooms as young as like age eight. And hey, I think that's, that's crazy. I, you know, hopefully my brother's not listening to the show because <laughs> my niece is eight years old. She has a TV. I will, I will say the great thing about that, and I don't know if I should be talking about this, but I will. But the great thing about giving your kid a TV at that young an age is you can take it away when they misbehave. Yeah. And it makes an impact. And that's what he had to do at one point. She yeah. misbehaved and he said, I'm taking the TV away. And man, she remembers that. Yeah. Because that was the TV, dude. Uh, yeah, I don't know at what age. I mean, I had a TV when I was, I want to say 13, 12, okay. 13, something like that. And it sort of got backdoored in because it was the monitor to my first computer. Uh-huh. So it wasn't quote unquote really a TV. It was a monitor. Yeah. And it just happened to receive TV very poorly. Okay. And so I suddenly had a TV in my room as a result. Did you ever have one? Yeah, how we, old were we you? We did. And I'm, tr- I'm really struggling to remember how old we were when we had it. I remember. I, hang on, enough. hang on. I need to tell listeners who don't know Morgan personally, when you hear her speak in the plural, in the, in the first person plural about her childhood saying <laughs> we, it's cause she's a twin. So nothing happened to her as an individual as a kid. <laughs> it was a joint experience. So that's why she's saying we got a TV. Well, and Kelly and I shared a room my whole life up until we left for college. So, so when I th- think about it, it's always we. Sure. No, yeah. I and I remember, again, bringing it back to what we've already talked about tonight. I remember watching the X-Files in my bedroom on my TV right. uh, on Sunday nights before going to school, before going to bed before school. So I definitely had it when I was you know, 15, 16, right. but I'm really struggling to remember if I had it before then. And I don't think I, I just don't think I did, but huh. Kelly, you'll have to let me know. Yeah. Kelly, right in. <laughs> Cause that's the only way you can get in touch with us. Go to our website. Yeah. I, I, I sort of feel like, and I don't know, this might just be me being a smart ass right now. I sort of feel like it's okay to give your kid a TV, but it shouldn't be a really good one. It should be sort of, yeah, it, should, it, it should be sort of crappy so that they don't want to watch it all the time and they have to come out of their room and interact with the family. <laughs> so it should sort of be a crappy TV. Well, and I just don't want screen time to interfere with real book time. Right, Which, yeah. again, Leia's growing up with us as parents. I don't right. think we need to be concerned right. about that. Well, and there's a little trick that I read about online that I've been holding on to okay. for years before we became parents. I read about this a long time ago. It was like, believe it or not, a comment on a message board. So sometimes reading the comments helps. Yeah. And this person said that, that if you want to raise a reader... It's very simple. 
Very simple. If your kid has, say, an 8 o'clock bedtime, you tell them, you can stay up till 9 if you're reading. Yeah. What do kids want more than anything? They want to stay up late. Yeah. Right? And if you tell them, you can stay up an extra hour if you're reading, then they begin to associate reading with the pleasure of staying up late, you know? And then, and it becomes a pleasurable thing for them that they enjoy. But shouldn't it be a pleasurable thing anyway? Of course it should. Of course it should. This is just reinforcing that. I know. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I actually totally agree with the idea that, hey, you have an eight o'clock bedtime. What you do in your room, if you've got the light on and you're reading, you are totally right. allowed to do that. And I have so fr- whenever. I don't and know. I have friends who did that, who who gave their kids no certain and established time that they had to be asleep, you know, lights out, trying yeah. to go to sleep. Uh-huh. It was just, you have to be in your room yeah. at X o'clock. I don't remember what it was. What you do in there is up to you. Mm-hmm. Now, they did not have TVs in their rooms. Right. They did not have radios in their rooms. Right. They did not have stereos in their rooms. So if they wanted to lie on the floor and play with action figures, fine. But most of the time, they read. Yeah, yeah. And they're both still really good readers. Yeah. So let's circle this back to my friend's question about screen time. Sure. You know, I think it just comes down to common sense, which is don't put, don't plop your baby in front of a screen for long periods of time every day. It's, it's all about balance. I do not think it's particularly harmful to have have them looking at screens periodically throughout the day for very small bursts of yeah, time. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody is saying that, you know, oh my God, my kid saw a commercial and her retinas are right, permanently right. damaged. Yeah, and yeah. She can't pay attention to things now. She has ADD. Yeah. I, and I think the gist of the question was, how do you do this given, given what our you do? Space and, constraints right. and our careers and what we like to do too. And and the honest answer is it hasn't been that difficult. Yeah. I, I don't think it's been that difficult. You know, I remember the early days when I when she was brand new and yeah. I was home and my family was here a lot. Sure. My mom was here helping. And we had the TV on most of the day. A, because that's just how I operate. I like the TV on as background. Right. Um, but B, also, she was so little that she wasn't aware of anything. She didn't even open her eyes no. half the time. So, you know, it wasn't until... Uh, a few months in, when she started to become aware of things, that I was like, "Oh, I need to turn this She's off." She's getting really distracted. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, so I noticed that. I noticed that today. I was feeding her, and usually when I feed her, I sit on the sofa and and I just feed her, and usually I have some music playing. But today, she had taken a late nap, and I had been watching a little bit of TV while she was napping, and I just left the TV on, and I thought yeah. I'll just sit on the sofa and I'll just watch TV while she's while while she's feeding. And she kept looking over at the TV. Yeah. So I realized, oh, she's hearing it and she's looking to see what it is and she's getting distracted. So I muted it and she still still kept looking over Uh because she knows there's Uh something over there. So I just turned it off. Yeah. But I mean, I'm home with her for the most part. I'm I'm the one who's here most of the day. It's not, it's not not a problem to to keep her away from that. There's sometimes I unavoidably have to do something on the computer. I have to respond to something immediately, whatever. And she sits on my lap while I work on the computer and it's five minutes and, and mostly she's interested in looking up at me to see what I'm up to. So it's, it's not as complicated as it might sound. I do wonder if it will become more complicated as time goes on and she starts to realize, oh, that's not just moving colors. Right. There's something happening There's there. stories. Yeah. yeah. And and who knows? We'll, well see. And again, not to go back to this shared culture idea, but like things like Sesame Street, those are good for her to watch. I firmly believe that. So I watched it. Yeah. And my mom always jokes, but I think she's serious. Like she had three kids under the age of two. Right. And and then four kids under the age of five. And whose fault like, is that? <laughs> and you know, she put us she put us in front of the TV. Right. She put Sesame Street on and she says, we loved it. And look how wonderful we all turned out. Yeah. That's me quoting my mom. 
So anyway, I absolutely think that by the time she's two, she will have a favorite television show. Or a favorite YouTube channel. There you go. (laughs) One or the other. One or the other. So the last topic I want to get into today was raised sort of obliquely by our friend Melissa Walker, who is also a fine, fine novelist. She was tweeting about sort of her dissatisfaction with, since the baby came, she's just putting off writing a lot. She's Mm -hmm. putting off doing that quite a bit. Well, I I think more, it was more along the lines of, um, having a rest is, is more important than writing right now. I need this rest or I need this walk or I need this sleep or, you know, how all of these things stack up as needs in more so than writing. Supersede writing. Yeah. Supersede. Thank you. There's the word. And I tweeted back, Hey, it's the same with me. If that helps at all. And you tweeted that it was the same with you. And I, and you know, some people jumped in and, and said very lovely, kind, supporting things. And I just wanted to talk about that for a minute because we, People like hearing updates from us on the podcast about what we're doing with our work and how it's going. And, and we talk about it. And we try to be very honest about the difficulties we're having. And, you know, it's true, though, especially like this last week. I don't think I, – I think I sat down for maybe five minutes to organize some things. Mm-hmm. But I haven't done anything yeah. because you were sick. So you yeah. were sick. So I was taking care of her. And then I got sick. So we were all trying to take care of each other somehow. I'm still not sure how we survived Saturday. Saturday was a bad day. <laughs> Just nothing got done really this yeah. week. And even even in the weeks where we are getting things done, I don't think you could say either of us is satisfied nope. with the amount of work we're getting done. Right. You know, you like to tease me both in life and on the podcast about when I say I didn't get much done, I only got a thousand words done. Right. But know but but, that's not your But standard. to me, that's yeah. that's not a lot of work. That feels like I'm lying down on the job. It feels like I'm limping along. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you tweeted today, you know, hey, you know, it takes me three weeks to revise a chapter. That's not making much progress. So what's what's that all about? I mean, should we should we be taking it easy on ourselves? Should we be working a little bit harder? You know, it's easy for me to say to take it easy. Right. I'm not on a deadline. My own, my only deadlines are self-imposed when it comes to writing. So I'm in a different category because I can say to myself, you know what? You wanted this done by April 1st, but it's okay if you miss that and go to May 15th. No big deal. There's no harm there. It doesn't harm anyone but myself, you know? And me, because I am dying for this book to be done. (laughs) But you guys are, are a different creature. So you have in... You don't particularly with this book you're working on now, but I'm sure Melissa has deadlines and you have to figure out how to balance those. Also for Melissa and me, it's not just a matter of deadlines. Yes, I'm not on a deadline right now for the book I'm working on, but if I do not write this book and sell this book, I make no money. That is a great (laughs) point. Yeah. So there's that pressure on. Yeah. I guess I also come at it from the whole, any movement forward is progress. So if you're limping along, you're still moving forward. Right. right? So it it might just not be as fast as you need it to be or want it to be, but it's going. And also the other thing that we have learned from being parents for the short time that we've been parents, these are all phases and they only last a couple of weeks. Every time the baby ends up doing something new or weird or weird or terrible or whatever, we are reminded that she's a new baby every other week. And these little things just last for a few days and you just have to power through and then it changes again. And so if you're at a point in your writing where you're limping along, I guess I just think that's only temporary. And I think also specifically with regard to you and Melissa, I I think we have this notion that since writing is sort of a cerebral intellectual pursuit, that it shouldn't be impacted by the physical strain of giving birth yeah. and, and, you know, being a mother. Yeah. But 
I don't think I don't think that's that's right. I mean, I think you go through so much. You know, speaking as an outsider to the experience, but as an observer, you go through so much when you become a mother. Yeah, that I really think you know you need to be good to yourself and you need to take those rests and those breaks yeah. because they're just necessary. You need those things. You're, you're doing so many things on a cellular level that that you have never done before things you're not even aware of. And, and I think you need to give yourself time to recuperate probably much more time than you actually think you need. I think that's so true. And you know, I, I know as a guy, I mean, I'm astonished when I hear about and, and talk to dads who go back to work two weeks after their kid is born, Mm -hmm. two weeks after Leia was born, I was a basket case. Like if I had had a desk job somewhere, I couldn't have gone back to work. I don't know how the hell people do that. I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. And if that's how I felt as the guy who didn't carry a baby for nine months, didn't go through the hormone warp, didn't go through the the brain chemistry changes, didn't go through the biological changes. If I felt that way, what the hell are you going through? So I feel like you and and Melissa should really give yourselves a break. I mean, and I know, I mean, I'm talking as the guy who's very frustrated with his, with his progress of late. And I understand that. And, you know, we are the ones who have to care the most about our work. Yeah. But we also have to care the most about ourselves. And I, I, I be, be good to yourself and don't beat yourself up too much. It's be good to yourself in the physical sense and also be kind to yourself. Right. Like, again, cut yourself some slack. Yeah. Yeah. We're rock stars, basically, is what I'm saying. (laughs) All right. Recommended reading. Recommended reading. What have you got? Well, last week, I helped myself to the freebie card at work. Ah. One of the many benefits of working in publishing. Yeah. But so when I was out on leave, I withdrew and sort of disengaged from publishing, which was really, it was a nice break. And obviously it was necessary because I was having a baby. But as a result, I lost track of new releases and spring 15 releases and, and books that I normally would have been on top of and would have been reading as I went. So I feel like I came back to work and there was this whole slew of titles that were not familiar to me. And I'd like to know what they are and and be up on them. So um, at the freebie card, I found a whole bunch of great books that are um, either just brand new out in the world or are coming out over the next few months. And so I helped myself to a bunch of them. And one of them that I'm reading right now, I really like, it's called Those Girls. It's written by Lauren Saft, published by Little Brown. Anyway, it's really good. I just wanted a nice contemporary YA. And um, and this is what that is. And it's so funny because the first sentence of the book has a curse word. I think it's the first sentence or the first two sentences. And I admit, I admit, I kind of rolled my eyes because I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be a voice book where it's just all about the sort of sassy, snarky teenage voice and oh, how risque she curses in the first line. And, uh, you know, this is me being very judgmental apparently. But by the end of the first chapter, I was like, oh, I think this is going to be a good book. And, uh, and I really like it. And the voices are, it's, there are three protagonists, um, and the chapters alternate between them. And it's just a really, uh, real funny, like I'm laughing out loud in certain places, uh, angsty, but like totally realistic contemporary YA. So I'm into cool. it. Cool. Very cool. How about you? I'm not reading anything right now. Um, because when I'm sick, I just can't read except for comic books. I read comic books when I'm sick. So I actually, uh, I'm going to recommend a book that was written quite a while ago, but was only recently published self-published by my friend Robin Brand. It's a book called The Good Lie. 
And it's a really, really great book. It is so dark. And it just goes places. Like Children of the Corn Dark. (laughs) 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 uh, It's a book that Robin wrote a while ago. And then it's so dark that she was like, I don't know if I should publish this. And I've loved it for a long time. And I said, you got to publish this book. You got to publish this book. And she did. Um, I think about six months ago and it's really, really good. And I really recommend it to people. It's, it's, I'm not even gonna tell you what it's about. It's just, it's a girl and she's got memories of things that may or may not have happened. And it's her sort of trying to figure that out. And it's, I I think the tagline is, um, you know, could, could you destroy everything around you to save your family? Basically, could, could you, could, could you tell one lie to save the truth? And it's really good. Nice. It's 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 a knockout of a book, and I think people should read it. So that should be the blurb. It's a knockout. It's of a, a book. knockout of a book, says Barry, Barry Liga. Let's not have the blurb discussion again. <laughs> so that's it for this week. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Please visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Send us feedback. Give us topics to talk about. Read our show notes. And, uh, and other information. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, and uh, follow us on Twitter. And we will be back next week. Bye. Thanks. Bye.